you know my next guest. You might not know his name, some of you I'm sure do. But you know angry retail guy, because you've seen him on Twitter or Instagram. In fact, before I even bring Scott in, there he is, there he is. But hold on, Scott, don't say anything, don't say anything. No, <laughs> look, let's go to one of the videos just so people can get a sense of it. When an employee only does what's required, it's called quiet quitting. No, it's called doing your job. If I'm supposed to go above and beyond, then so should my pay. Don't expect something for nothing, right? Or does that only apply to poor people? Yeah, my employees show up every day, but they don't dress up like Santa Claus and bring me toys, so they're lazy. You're lucky that an employee does their job. I've done so little at work before that it wasn't even quietly quitting. It was technically robbing. Okay, that's funny. Um, but as an employer, also not perfectly funny. Uh, <laughs> okay, Scott, how you doing, brother? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. Big fan. Oh, thank you. Me too. Me too. Of me? No, I'm kidding. Of you. That's <laughs> <laughs> my own work. Okay, so Scott, let, let's let's start from the beginning. How did yep. Angry Retail Guy get started? Yeah, so I worked at the IKEA call center. For about three years right after college. I was mainly taking talking to customers through like Twitter and Facebook and then sometimes over the phone. And at the same time, my wife was working actually in a store at the Disney store, which is like its own, you know, level of hell basically. And we were both just very angry. I was doing comedy. I used to do stand-up. I did stand-up for about nine years before the videos. And then once COVID hit, stand-up was illegal. Had all these customer service jokes that I couldn't do on stage. And I found that sound that was like trending on TikTok and thought like, oh, wouldn't that be great for a customer service joke? And then it kind of just like took off on TikTok overnight, the first video. Um, never had something that had gotten that much attention before. And then so I just decided to make like 45 more of those. I thought, okay, well, let me just keep, you know, doing this and hopefully more opportunities will come. And and you know. I'm still making them. I'm still having fun with it. Yeah. So, why do you think it resonated so much? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just that like people are sick and tired of work, and they like you know they're they're sick and tired of work asking too much from them. And I think especially like during COVID when people were still being like forced to like to go into work, and maybe the working conditions weren't as safe, or maybe you know their jobs were just like not cutting them any slack during this like huge crisis. Uh, the videos are, are after this kind of like catharsis where it's like it's a, it's a retail employee that is like at that breaking point that like so many people are at where it's like just that one more like straw on the camel's back is gonna like cause them to turn on the company on the customer and so I think that that I think that that's why it resonated so much um, and then I also like to think that they're funny too I could put my little jokes in there you know. <laughs> I think the funny has something to do with it, yes. <laughs> uh, but but I do think that it it, it resonated more than just a, because it was hilarious, uh, because it really struck a chord. And my sense of it, I'm a progressive, so I think that we live under corporate rule, and that that those corporations are squeezing the life out of us, and they're doing it in every imaginable way. Uh, the airlines literally have like a misery index. Uh, they create misery for their customers, let alone the employees, and then ask them to pay extra money to relieve that misery. I mean, that right there is late stage capitalism, right? And yeah. certainly, of all the people that are squeezing, they're squeezing their employees the most, right? Right. So that's my sense of it. But you know, 
But I bet you tons of right wingers love it too because they also get squeezed, right? They they also have that yeah. same feeling that they can't quite identify. They might not know its root causes, but they feel it. Yes, and that that I've certainly seen that, especially you know going out and doing stand up um, after the videos became so popular. I've been able to headline, and when I when I can sense when I go into more political stuff or when I kind of reveal my own like progressive leanings, I could sense some people the audience going like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we just like hated our jobs, but I'm like, yeah, but don't you get like that's all part of it, you know? Like people should get paid more, work less, and you know, executives you know are lucky that everyone's not standing up and throwing a trash can through through their window and, and storming out of work. It's like it's all like tied into that. Um so yeah, and I think some of yeah. the videos I have done like kind of reveal how I feel on other issues too that people either like like the videos more or they'll back away from them. Yeah, so I, I love the reaction of, whoa, 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 I didn't know you were gonna be smart about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, what are we talking about, root causes here? I don't wanna talk about root causes. I just wanna bitch about my boss. Okay? Right, exactly. Which exactly. by the way, in some ways it's fair, right? We all have those issues and we all connect with it. And in right. fact, when you kind of joke about the real causes, it feels to them like you're breaking a bond that you had because they would prefer not to know for some of them, right? Yeah. Like, because like, it's kind of inconvenient if it turns out you're supporting the bad guys and you didn't know it. That doesn't feel comfortable. Sure. Am I onto something there? Do you get that sense or no? Um, no, no, no. I, I definitely get that sense. I think that, yeah, it's, it's that weird thing where people want to go like, oh, well, please, like, don't put politics into comedy. Just have comedy be comedy. And it's like, yeah, but it's it's like everything. Everything is politics. Like everything. Like me saying, you know, employees are are lucky that employees actually show up to work and do their job instead of like you know striking or walking out or whatever um, or organizing. It's like I'm just I, I am tying it into these like real world things that I think some people would rather you know not think about, but it's impossible because we're talking about work and how things should like be improved. Yeah, no, no, it's absurd. Everything's political. It, it, yeah. It's just an excuse not to talk about the root causes. Because right. okay, like I want higher wages. Well, that's political. That's a literally right. a law. That is a bill that is proposed, or right. sometimes a ballot initiative in states, and you have to vote yes or no. And then there's a lot of politics around it. Do well, you that's want what's higher wages. It's political. Right, and that's what's weird. It's like if I say like, well, we're all underpaid, like in a video, and people go like, yeah, we're all underpaid. But it's like it's the second I say like minimum wage should be increased, then it's like. That's like the word that's used on all of these, you know, news programs. That they go, wait, wait, wait. We're, we're we're told that we should not be liking anything about minimum wage being increased, but we we do believe we're underpaid. But when a certain buzzword kicks in, it's like right back into the narrative that's been just like pushed and told over and over again. You know, Scott, as you say that, it it like triggered for me a thought that it's almost like hypnosis. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. You say the buzzwords. Now, when I say minimum wage, remember, your reaction will be to oppose it. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, okay, no, wait, <laughs> I want higher wages, but I am against increasing the minimum wage. Dude, that, that is higher wages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially at the retail level. Uh, okay, so before we go any further, I don't want to know, I want to know what's next for you. Uh, but let me show one more video, just so go ahead. Can you just check in the back? Can you just accept we don't have it? The back ain't some magical place. What do you think is back there, Santa's workshop? The only thing back there 
batteries, a clipboard with our schedules, and some brownies Darcy brought in. Yeah, that might have been the first one I saw, and I loved it so much. Oh, and thanks. by the way, don't get me wrong, Scott. I asked if if you got it in the back, but I still loved. <laughs> That's what I do now. Now I'm like worried to ask any questions when I go into a store. I'm like, no, I'm I'm nice. I understand this. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you get caught like asking the wrong questions that you made right. fun of, you'd be yeah. in a lot of trouble, brother. <laughs> So, um, so you got a movie coming out called Cocaine Bear, is that right? That's right, at February 24th, 2023. Uh, it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, Carrie Russell, uh, late great Ray Liotta's in it, Margot Martindale, and me somehow. So the videos put me in this movie uh, and it should be, uh, it's gonna be wacky, man. It's gonna be wacky for sure. No, really, I couldn't tell from the title, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> Okay. Um, this is a very heady, thinky kind of movie with oh that. Oh, yeah. Type you know what I thought? It sounds a little too wonky for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, but tell me about like behind the scenes. Like, did it, did more people start recognizing you in the streets? Did, it, you, did oh, yeah. you get an agent immediately or did your agent is it, whoa, whoa, whoa? You know, like, how did, tell me what happened behind the scenes. It was crazy. Like, it was, it was going so viral. And obviously, uh, you know, nothing is like physically happening to me, but my phone's like blowing up, my my email's going crazy, and I'm just like vibrating with energy. Um, so I had a bunch of agents and managers call me, uh, kind of picked the people that I wanted to go with. the the cocaine air The cocaine bear audition was a Facebook message that I got from the casting director before I even had an agent. Like just crazy stuff. But I, I do get recognized. My my wife and I we went to a store the other day uh, in the mall, and the person behind the register like immediately pointed and goes, we hate our customers too. And like everybody in the store just starts looking around like, wait, what? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's such a great anecdote because that person is telling you that they hate you in that role, right? Because you're a customer at that point, (laughs) right? In that interaction. Right, right? I was like, I'll I'll see myself out then, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But you gave them permission to. Right. Yes. And it says oh, yeah. through your videos, and uh, and and you're just like we talked about before. You're revealing something that a lot of people thought and hadn't vocalized before in yeah. the way that you did. So, um, but is it? But these days, it's not quite like the old days. Like in the old days, if you got famous, it was over. You were so rich, you didn't know what to do with the money. Like the roles came right after you got famous. These yeah. days, it ain't like that, right, Scott? No, no, that'd be great if it was. But uh, luckily, I have been through the videos, been able to make comedy my full time job finally, which is like always been the the dream of mine. So I have been able to do that. Um, but you know, I still got plenty to uh, complain about and make videos about when it comes to money, for sure. <laughs> okay, good, good. I mean, I wouldn't want you to get comfortable or anything. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's America, yeah. after all. Right. <laughs> All right, look, everybody check out Scott Cease. Uh, we'll have links uh, below to his stuff uh, on, on YouTube and Facebook in the description box. Uh, anyway, just type in angry retail guy, you'll get him. Uh, Scott, you're awesome. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much again. YouTube, good or bad, let's figure it out. Okay, Mark Bergen joining me. He wrote a book on it. He's a Bloomberg uh, writer and he's author of Like, Comment, and Subscribe uh, about YouTube. Uh, Mark, how you doing, brother? 
I'm doing well, thanks for having me. All right, uh, kidding aside about good or bad, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your conclusions having done the research on YouTube about its upsides and its downsides. Yeah, I mean, I think that the main takeaway is it's just uh, it's an incredibly important and influential platform that has managed to really like slide under the radar for a long time. Um, I think someone described it as sort of this big iceberg and like a sleeping giant of social media. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's set really the tone for a lot of the ways that the future of of the media and industry went, and and that has had you know. The very good size of like an explosion of creativity and all sorts of new businesses and opportunities for people online that they wouldn't have made it on on broadcast TV or radio, uh, or or just didn't want to make it there. Um, and the, the downsides of that, right, is is what the the book addresses. The company dealt with um, all these content moderation problems, the like the creator economy, the the like. Balancing the interests of their advertisers and their millions of creators, um, and all sorts of unintended consequences from their system that they're still dealing with. So I think, um, you know, in, in many ways, the book is just a, a, a call for people to pay much more attention and scrutinize this as important company and platform. Right. So now, look, I always state my bias to the audience as much as I can, and so uh, we're one of YouTube's original partners. Uh, and uh, it's a big and important partner for us. But I've also had a lot of experience about the upsides and downsides, as Mark knows. We've talked off air. Um, so, but Mark, in, in my experience, having said that, um, I think mainstream media has two issues with YouTube. Um, one, I, I think they view them as competitors, and and that's led to a number of things that are interesting, which I want to get to next. But but the other one is that I think that a lot of people, in, or almost all people in mainstream media for a long time, if they're not physically old, they had a very old mentality. And so they looked at YouTube as like, oh, YouTube, cat videos, please. And so that, that was at least a decade, that's my sense of it. But I still think that old media doesn't get it at all. I think that they still think it's largely cat videos and for kids, and that it isn't a real giant in the media business, which is, in my view, insanity. But that's that's from my outsider and a little bit insider point of view. Having researched it as much as you did, what's your sense of, of whether that's true? Yeah, I think that's right. And I'll put I'll put myself in the in the mainstream media and being culpable here. But you know, I, I mean, even on this book tour, I still get asked questions like, "Oh, there." Are, YouTubers that play video games and people, millions of people watch, and they have you know millions of careers, right? Millions of dollar career like that. That has been happening now for a decade. Uh, you know, it's interesting that a lot of these like YouTuber YouTube studios that started about a decade ago, their goal was to we want you know when someone a YouTube star goes on late night TV, it's like treat them like George Clooney, right? Like you, you you don't ask George Clooney or Brad Pitt how much money they make. Um, I, there there is like a lot of rubbernecking at that, and, and perhaps it's a little bit of of competition. I think it's you know it's a it's an unregulated industry, and largely especially compared to, to broadcast television. Um, and and I think you know what some of the key moments and controversies in, in the company's past is it's become in part it was such a they built this. This system, this miraculous system for uh, online advertising that shared money with millions of creators with like very few safeguards in place. And so I think part of the confusion was 
a lot of people didn't understand how YouTube worked. And we saw that five years ago when they had uh, what's popularly known as like the adpocalypse, right? All their advertisers flee and, and then they have these major consequences for, for creators on the platform in part because, you know, advertisers who are YouTube's made customers didn't understand how their business worked. Um, and I think part of that fault certainly lies with with the mainstream media, but but a lot of it lies with, with YouTube itself. Yeah, well, uh, the part that lies with YouTube, I've talked to them and, and you know, in my limited capacity as a partner, uh, to, you know, on those fronts is sure, they've got to get better on a lot of stuff, but, but uh, you know, Back to mainstream media though, like so right now I think that if you went to Washington or New York and talked to reporters and uh, told them that Mr. Beast is one of the most famous people on the planet. Um, Blank stairs, yeah. Right, I mean, I, that's what I'm asking. I, I'm not seeing it wrong, right? They have no earthly idea who Mr. Beast is, even though he's a thousand times more famous than anyone or almost anyone they know. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, and and a lot of that is just the way it's used. And even like, you know, I, I'm in, in my generation, right? Like mid 30s, like I, I came up. YouTube wasn't was invented when I was in college, but like, it's still if you're not part of the culture, um, and and most of people my age and older use YouTube as a utility. Um, I think you know, so a lot of people depend on it for news, for culture, for entertainment, and there are a lot of these cult, uh, like subcultures and, and niches that that people don't. A lot of people don't understand. I think that's that's one of the, the main reasons, and it's been neglected by the press in part because it's there's not a lot of financial data about YouTube out there. It's in some ways sort of you know it was an interesting story a decade ago when it was like rivaling Hollywood and now everyone's sort of obsessed with TikTok. Um, but but creators like Mr. Beast are, I think should be um, you know, treated sort of like Game of Thrones, right? It's, the audience is that big um, and, and deserves that much uh, attention. And, and so, yeah, I, I totally think you're right. I think like the, we've, we failed in the mainstream media to treat YouTube with the, with the respect and reverence and attention it deserves. Yeah. Um- it's it's indisputably true. I mean, if you don't know Mr. Beast, it's probably because you watch mainstream media, and it's okay. Uh, like, it's not your job to know it if you're just a regular person, right? But uh, I mean, like, sorry, like a lot of people, the history of the company too is like people inside YouTube. Uh, they were like not familiar with the platform traditionally, and they were always their their goal for their business team was let's get traditional media, let's get um, the big studios onto YouTube. Like, I, know they, I know a brother. They were endlessly <laughs> obsessed with it. Totally. I'm like I, I honestly, in one meeting, I I told uh, executives as much as I had access to them, and it was probably pro- just that one meeting. Um, I I said, you guys have all these Ferraris in your garage, and you never take them out. You keep looking for other cars. Like, oh, what what does my 80 year old grandfather think is famous? Okay, I'm gonna go for that car. The Ferraris right there. I mean, to give you a sense of. Mr. Beast, I'm using him just as an example, but the guy has over 100 million subscribers. If you had the equivalent of that in old media, you would have Ricky Martin times 10 at his height, right? And and no one, no one in traditional media treats him that way. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Beast has also had like a pretty unblemished record. Like so far, he hasn't brought the platform into any controversy. But you know, like their prior stars have, you know, like PewDiePie. Okay, let's talk Logan about that. Paul. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So sorry to cut you off there, but it's an important point in the book too. So 
Um, so those stars create controversies. I've always thought, so what? And so I don't want to be too flippant about it, but yeah, I mean, have you seen the guys on TV? They're a hot mess. So I mean, and Roseanne Barr created huge controversies for ABC. But it feels like, again, here we go again, mainstream media doesn't like YouTube. So they're like, can you believe what PewDiePie did? As if it was like the only person who's ever created controversy in media. Yeah, I mean, fair. How I mean, you've never seen like PewDiePie go on stage with Susan Wojcicki. Like, it's not. It's just not the way that the business is operated. There's not the sense that like they've stood by their biggest stars, and and then that's when they can kind of be like, we're hands off, we're a platform, right? And and clearly, like they want to promote their stars for their their advertising, big events and conferences. I mean, I think they should be treated like a media company in many ways, right? And like, and they have to. They, especially when stars are that influential with young audiences and their advertisers uh, and like regulators are starting to pay more attention to them. Like I, I, I think that that sh- in, like should entice the company to respond and actually like um, treat these. You know, they call it the YouTube partner program, right? Like you're a business partner with them. You're sharing revenue, uh, and so I think in that way is the company is like is the you know they're not programming determining what goes up on YouTube, obviously. But they are responsible as a media programmer, in part because it's the way their business is structured. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, look, of all the, we've had plenty of issues on YouTube behind the scenes, etc. Right, and they're not anywhere near perfect. But um, mainstream media platforms, guys who want to start wars and get millions of people killed, and work for defense contractors, and don't even tell you. So don't talk like you're worried about PewDiePie. I mean, we're worried about Logan Paul. I mean, those guys are. And so my point there, Mark, is they're looking for the mohill to make a giant mountain out of because I think it's a war for advertisers. And what they're trying to do, the CNNs and the New York Times of the world, is smear online media badly enough that advertisers keep going to New York Times and CNN instead of YouTube and Facebook. So that's my theory. What do you think? I think, I mean, yes, look, YouTube's business model is take money from convinced TV advertisers that their money's being wasted on television and that the audience is on YouTube and that their spend uh, is disproportionate. Um, you know, I think that, like, as the history of the YouTube shows, that's, that's a rocky uh, path so far that always hasn't, hasn't been smooth. They've made a lot of progress now, and like, there's still this trend where. Where money is moving over, um, I mean, I guess you know, like there, there's a fine line between you know they will point to a lot of the papers of Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, and papers as as leading some of this reporting. Like at the same time, like it is a it's a pretty opaque platform. We don't know like what decisions they're making and how. And often, like we you know how many people in the street know like who the CEO of YouTube is in general. So I do think like any scrutiny of platform is not rooted necessarily in in jealousy or business priorities and more just like trying to shed some light on this really powerful company. Yeah, I think it's totally mixed. Uh, I think that there's super legitimate critique that that you and others are engaging in on, in good, healthy journalism. And, and, and I think that I've seen pieces, whether it was a Murdoch piece, and I saw one on CNN, where it was an obvious hatchet job. And, and and then CNN sent their advertise uh, like memos to their advertisers right afterwards. It's so I think mainstream media 
you could write a thousand books like this about. But okay, one last question, Mark. Sure. Um, so of the different platforms, is you in your reporting, like you get a sense that YouTube is more even-handed, more fair. I know these are really broad generalizations. Than the other platforms like Facebook and other and TikTok, etc., or less fair than those. I mean, I think in, in like it is different in the fact that unlike any other like Facebook and Twitter, the decisions that YouTube makes like affects people's livelihoods. Like there are millions of people making money from YouTube, and many of them building careers on the platform. And so that like when they set their content filters or they change their policy, it doesn't just you know, de-platform people, but it actually like demonetizes, right? It removes income from people, and that's like a, I think it's just a whole different layer um, of its significance. And and now we're seeing like TikTok and Instagram, Spotify, like all the platforms are trying to chase this the same model because it it is like a very savvy model, like and it, and it works for YouTube and it's invented all sorts of new businesses. So I think in that sense, like they YouTube moves a lot slower. In part because they just have a lot bigger ripple effects whenever they they make any changes. Yeah, that's true, and I agree. I think that they do have to move slower because if it it affects so many. You use the analogy of a tanker and moving a tanker, and that's exactly right. And if if I'm the captain of a speedboat, I want to move quick. If I'm the captain of a tanker, I don't want to move that quick. You're going to shake a lot of inventory off the boat. Okay, so that's one way of putting it, but. Look, guys, everybody check out, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, Mark, it's a really interesting book, and it's a necessary book, uh, and it's a good and important conversation. Um, you know, and, and I want people to understand my point of view is I'm not saying that YouTube don't, doesn't do things wrong. It definitely does, right? But my point is that mainstream media those does those things wrong times 10, 20, 100, and then they throw rocks as if they're, you know, perfectly clean, which they are not. So, that's my perspective. I mean, YouTube gives a lot of views to mainstream media right now. You know, Fox and CNN are doing pretty well on the platform. So, yeah, uh, but uh, but here we are still uh, in this day and age. And I think that there's some chance that until like the last network signs off the air, they'll still be like, "Oh, YouTube's no big deal, no big deal," uh, and then they'll be off, and the only thing left will be you. Just ask your kids. I mean, we've been saying this for 15 years. Just ask your kids, and uh, and every time they're like, "Really? Yeah, they do just watch YouTube, isn't it?" Um, <laughs> they're not watching 60 Minutes, huh? Um, all right. Anyways, uh, Mark, thank you again, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun.